what? You have a podcast? I can't let you do that, Kyle. Iran issued a death sentence to an anti-government protester for the first time on Monday, according to state media. Protesters charged with setting fire to a government building. This is part of the nation's harsh crackdown after weeks of widespread protest sparked by the death of Masha Amini. She's a 22-year-old woman who was arrested for allegedly violating a law requiring women to wear headscarves in public. Over 330 people have been killed so far. 50 of them, over 50 of them are children. Over 5,300 of them have been injured. No, they have been denied medical attention. 14,000 people are arrested. And recently, the parliament has sentenced them to death just because they're protesting. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics podcast. I am your host, Kyle Frame, and today is Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. So, I was not on yesterday because the race is on. That's right, I'm up super early today to try to, you know, get this recording out before my children wake up. Because yesterday I was just about to hit the record button and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere... This ghostly appearance of my oldest son. Daddy, I'm awake. So I couldn't record yesterday. Um, unfortunately, that is that is how things are for at least the, uh, the next few weeks. Uh, I am working on getting a more isolated space so I can, you know, be a little more reliable. But I'm actually kind of glad that yesterday was canceled. Because yesterday was a prime example. There were two major stories that proved to be way false. And a little more not so normal. So we'll start with the first one. I was going to open up with the Iranian protests because it is a big deal. There's there's a lot going on over there. There is a significant portion of unrest. They do have about 15,000. I've seen some estimates as high as 25,000. We don't have an exact number because Iran doesn't exactly share that information with the world. Uh, but they do have a significant number of people uh, who are arrested strictly for protesting. This is not good. Uh, also, they did, in fact, sentence a man to die. Um, allegedly, he has been convicted of a crime against God. Um, that is very much a thing in Iran. And he will be sentenced to death. There is no timeline for this. However, he's the only one. Uh, that final statement there where they said the... Iranian parliament has sentenced 15,000 people to die is not true. Uh, that was that was a false story that came out. The best you can hear is that there was a letter signed by a majority of parliament uh, over there. So they have about 290 members of their parliament total and about 227 or so uh, signed a letter suggesting that the protesters be put to death um, to send a strong and clear message. Now, that's not the same as actually executing them. But the, the, the first thing that should, you know, you should question when that particular story comes out is you think of the history of Iran and, and its, you know, blatant human rights violations. You have to consider when has it ever needed, you know, a parliamentary vote to put someone to death? You know, Iran doesn't have that problem. 
they are very much if they want to put you to death they'll just they'll just do it you know they don't they don't need pretense um so that was kind of the first thing that should have clicked in everyone um but that one was tricky because the major news outlets carried it like nbc cbs uh cnn you know they all carried the same story and it all originated from a newsweek story saying that parliament had actually conducted an official vote and that this was officially going to happen um when it turns out that was completely false um but because it came from a normally reputable website uh from newsweek and and they didn't do this maliciously this was not this was not them trying to fake everybody out or anything like that this was just a mistake uh i think they got caught up in trying to be first which is a consequence of the for-profit media that we have is you know you you've got to be first you want everybody repeating your story and unfortunately in the race to being first some people don't double check as well as they normally do um and it fits the narrative i mean it, it fits a perfect narrative um you know iran is the bad guy their regime is bad uh, nobody's doubting this or, or questioning it um they do bad things and this is clearly a bad thing that they were going to do so yeah you know why fact check that why double check it it totally fits when in reality it the things they're doing are just as bad they're still executing people they're still treating prisoners uh harshly they're still arresting people for the simple crime of protesting um to them protesting the state is akin to protesting against god and that is a crime punishable by death over there um all those are perfectly valid reasons to dislike the iranian regime but we don't need to make up stories and we need to be very clear about what exactly we're doing you want to make sure you're on the the right side of things and again as always judge slowly um yesterday was not a day for hot takes because in the second big news of the day um poland was originally reported was struck by two russian missiles and it killed a few polish people um this was a really quick story um it was very clear poland nato country hit by russian missiles um during the war with ukraine and the consensus news coming out of there was that yeah putin was trying to send a message almost immediately uh plenty of verifiable sources uh you know former cia people former intelligence people everybody came out of the woodwork saying yes this is exactly what putin would do uh to try and warn nato to back off um it is something that a desperate person who's losing a war in ukraine would do it totally fits with something that putin would do putin doesn't care uh the hardliners in his country are becoming basically the norm because he's executing or having killed everybody who dissents um you know you 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 did have the danger or the scare of article 5 from nato which you know if you attack one of us you attack all of us and that drags all of nato into war straight up with russia which you know unfortunately both sides have nukes um so these things have to be taken seriously we can't dismiss it um but it turns out 
that the story was incorrect. Uh, the first thing was that Biden came out and said, actually, there's no evidence that these missiles came from Russia at all. Uh, even the Polish president came out and said, no, it, they was not, it was not Russian missiles. They were actually Ukrainian missiles that went the wrong direction, basically, which happens. This is the kind of stuff that happens in war. This is the kind of stuff that, unfortunately could very lead to uh, could very really lead to um, uh, escalation um, that we're just not expecting war is a huge mess with millions of people involved it only takes one or two of those people to make a mistake at the wrong moment to suddenly cause world war three um, as scary as it is this has happened in our past there are several different stories of times during the cold war where one side or the other thought that what they were seeing was the beginning of world war three and could have launched you know it could have been the end and if not for a select handful of individuals who were cautious i guess you know who wanted to wait and see uh you know you could very easily imagine the wrong person in that moment believing exactly what the information tells them and acting accordingly, which would have meant that we all would have been dead several times over by nuclear explosion. That did not happen because the human beings in those positions chose not to believe what they were seeing. So these things happen. This is always the, the threat of nuclear war. It isn't necessarily that one country will openly launch a nuclear weapon at another. Because we all know the result of that. We all know the outcome. If if Russia decided, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to nuke Ukraine tomorrow. If they did that, we all know how that would end. It would end with nuclear missiles of our own striking Russia. And then it becomes tit-for-tat domino effect, assuming people are still alive to push buttons. So... We know that that's how it's going to end. So there are two major threats with nuclear war. One is a complete insane person in charge with their finger on the trigger. Makes sense. And two is a mistake. A simple mistake by a, the wrong person at the wrong time that is interpreted by everyone else as a legit, serious decision. One of my favorite movies of all time is War Games, starring Matthew Broderick. And the whole thing, basically, is that we, the United States, all evidence is showing that we are under a nuclear attack. And it's up to, you know, the hero to convince all these professionals with all this information with all these computers, with everything in the world, every instinct telling them, yes, Russia has launched. And it's up to that one person in the room to convince them that, no, you have to not believe what you're seeing. Um, unfortunately, this is what war does. This is the real threat of nuclear war. It is entirely possible that a nuclear weapon or a dirty bomb is used in the Ukrainian war 
and everybody interprets it as a deliberate strike. And if it if you interpret it as a deliberate strike, there's very few options left for you. It usually means strike back. So we need to be careful. But it turns out, thankfully, uh, NATO does not have itchy trigger fingers, trigger fingers and was sitting there able to assess the information and be like, no, this was not Russia. This was Ukraine. Now, the cynic in you could say that NATO and President Biden in particular are saying this intentionally. Like this is a, a backdoor way of communicating as if Putin did launch the missiles, but then just didn't claim credit for it so that it leaves him a little ambiguity. And that way the NATO leaders see it and are like, oh, he's sending us a message. Well, we can't say that he really did launch because there is a portion of the populace who would demand retribution. So we have to say it was an accident. We have to say it was Ukraine in order to give Putin an off-ramp, right? That's that's kind of been the whole thing since this war has started is Putin needs an off-ramp. He needs a way to declare victory and then leave Ukraine. We don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, there are people, of course, who are suggesting, and, and I agree with them, that the only off-ramp is simply that he needs to leave Ukraine. Like, this is very clear. Russia is the aggressor nation. Ukraine has no interest in going to war with Russia. If Russia up and just left if all the soldiers in ukraine from russia were given the order right now hey just go home ukraine would not follow them into russia they're not trying to liberate moscow the war would end period that would be it that would be the end of the war so uh for me and i i personally think that we should not sell our soul for peace. Okay, there are some people insisting that, you know, we have to give Russia some concessions that we say, okay, they can keep this region of land. Because in particular, there's, again, this, this land bridge basically from Crimea to Russia that is the real, you know, pot of gold kind of a deal. Um, personally, I think it was a mistake for us to let them take Crimea, but whatever, they have it now. Uh, I think it would be a mistake to give them the land bridge. But there are some people, a certain rich billionaire that owns Twitter, uh, believes that we should allow Russia to keep territories that it has seized in order to end the war, in order to end the threat of nuclear war, in order to guarantee peace. And I am firmly against that. I don't believe that the way to ensure peace is to give the warmonger what they want. This is one of those cases. I'm just against it. I'm a pacifist. I don't like war. I would love for there to be an ending. But I don't believe giving Russia 
that land bridge, the territories they've seized, would actually end anything. I think it would kick the can. I think giving in to somebody like Vladimir Putin and a country like Russia would would only embolden them, would only make them think they can do it again, just like Crimea did. I mean, again, this is history. Not just, you know, historically you could say, oh, you know, Chamberlain and, and Hitler and we, we've been through this. No, no, no. With Putin, we've been through this. This is what Putin does. This is what he has done. He already did this during the Obama administration with Crimea. And we caved. We let him do it because there wasn't political support at the time to fight him. Okay. Uh, President Obama had an entirely Republican Congress. And the Republican Congress, unfortunately, is very much in Putin's back pocket. They don't want to go to war with Russia. They like Russia. Some of them spend the 4th of July in Moscow. Like, it's that crazy. Um, so... You know, yes, Obama could have done more. I kind of cut him a tiny bit of slack, though, considering his political ramifications. But it was clearly a mistake to give Putin what he wanted back then because it only led to this current situation. And again, Ukraine wasn't poking the bear. Ukraine wasn't sitting there, you know, uh, attacking Russia and, and making a stink about things. Ukraine was minding its own damn business, trying to do what was best for its own people, you know trade with the West is what's best for the Ukrainian people. Putin took offense. And now all of a sudden he wants more. And he only wants more because he got it last time. So again, it's 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 all crazy, but you know, that's the whole point. Stories, you have to be careful with them. You have to judge slowly. You don't require a hot take. I think the 24-hour news cycle is unhealthy. I think if you were a human being with strong emotions yesterday and you were following the news minute by minute, you were on a roller coaster, and that's not healthy. Um, whereas if, you know, hypothetically, you got a newspaper in the morning, it might not have even covered the Iranian story because it happened you know, overseas, it happened at a different time zone, the newspaper was probably already printed for it. So by the time you get the paper today, and you open it up, all you see is the truth, you see the actual fleshed out story, you don't see the misinformation. So just slowly, things are going on. In other news, uh, what's going on here at home is Kevin McCarthy, the Republicans went ahead and uh, I believe they clinched the house or at least it's it's highly, highly unlikely that they're going to lose it at this point. We're just haggling over by how many votes. Could be one, could be three, it, but it's, it's going to be a very narrow majority, probably one of the most narrow House majorities in history. Uh, but the Republicans will hold it. Uh, Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans held a vote yesterday. Kevin McCarthy won that vote. He's got about 31-ish dissenting Republicans. Now, this doesn't mean he's going to be speaker. It's highly likely he's going to be speaker, but it doesn't mean he's going to be because he doesn't have a majority. He just has a majority of Republicans. The Democrats still have a say in who gets to be speaker. You know, the rules don't say the party decides. The rule says the House decides. So right now, Kevin McCarthy has his, uh, you know, uh, 180, 190 uh, House votes. 
Assuming he got no Democratic votes and these 31 other Republicans still dissent, he would not be Speaker. You need a majority of the House. Uh, so right now what's going to happen is McCarthy has to go to those 31 dissenting Republicans and begin negotiating. Okay, what's it going to take to get to you to be a yes? Because it would be very weak in modern terms for a Republican speaker with a Republican majority to have been elected without a Republican majority. You know, if he's got to go hat in hand to the Democrats and ask for votes to get over the hill, that would be a problem because, you know, at least the 31 Republicans are probably going to ask for concessions on issues that affect the Republican base. Uh, if he goes hat in hand to the Democrats, he would actually have to address the other half of the fucking country, which unfortunately is not how politics is played in the United States right now. Uh, so rather than, I think he should put on his big boy pants and go talk to Nancy Pelosi and ask for some Democratic support and see what concessions, you know, try to form a coalition government rather than a, a party of one kind of control, which we have had. I think if he truly wanted to break free of Trumpism and he truly wanted to work because, you know, Democrats do hold the Senate and they hold the presidency. So let's be honest. What the fuck are Republicans in the House going to get done over the next two years? Absolutely nothing. Okay, they're not going to get anything done. Nothing. If, if McCarthy has a wish list of like, oh, I've always wanted to be Speaker so I could pass this, that's not happening. He can have symbolic votes and he can hold hearings. That's it. But if he really wanted to be, I think, transformational, if he really wanted to be a different type of person than he has shown himself to be so far, he would tell those 31 dissenting Republicans to go sit and spin. He's going to go talk to the Democrats and see what he can get. And this is the beauty of it. He doesn't have to go talk to the squad. He doesn't have to go to AOC. He could go to Pelosi, be like, hey, what do I need to do? to get over this hump and i don't need the entire democratic caucus i need 31 votes i only need 218 votes total to be speaker that's it so let's form a joint government see where we land and i think that would be better because the problem is the dissenting republicans are likely the crazy they're the marjorie taylor greens the lauren boberts the uh uh, Lee Stefanics. They're, they're Trumpist loyalists, crazy YouTuber fan people who uh, all they want to do is sow chaos. All they want to do is cause problems. All they want to do is, you know, uh, shut down the government over the debt ceiling and all this other BS. You know, that there's nothing practical they actually want to do. So what kind of concessions is Kevin McCarthy really going to get from them? You know, if he goes to the 31 crazy and he says, what do I need? And they're like, you need to hold hearings every single day on Hunter Biden. Like, really? Does he really want to do that? I mean, what would be the worst thing that the most centrist, moderate Democrats, 31 of them, have to ask for? Okay, they're not going to say, don't hold any hearings, right? Because that would be an extreme position. 
they're not going to say, you know, oh, you have to approve abortion through the third trimester, which, again, is an extreme position. You know, we're talking about the most, you know, centrist Republicans or Democrats. What could they possibly ask for that would be so horrible that it would be worse than having to capitulate to the 31 Republicans that are crazy? And I just don't see it. I, I don't see it. Now, logic would dictate McCarthy has an easier path and a more successful term as speaker if he decides to work with the Democrats. But if he decides he's beholden to the 31 crazy shitbags, he's done, right? He, he, he'll be speaker in name only. He'll be a footnote in history. It's like, yes, congratulations, you were speaker for however long he lasts. Congrats. What meaningful legislation did you pass during that time? And it's going to be nothing. Okay, go look at Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan didn't accomplish anything. Paul Ryan made this same deal, right? Nobody wanted John Boehner anymore. So we got Paul Ryan, who was supposed to be the bridge speaker. He came in. He made a deal with Trump. He made a deal with the devil. Legislatively, the Republicans didn't get shit done in those first two years under Trump. Paul Ryan was speaker and he didn't get anything done. And he finally said, fuck it and got out. Like he could have still been speaker, maybe. But he was like, this isn't worth it. I'm not getting anything done. The only thing of consequence that the Republicans got done in the first two years under Trump was that tax cut for billionaires, which isn't exactly the big win historically that you want, you know, Paul Ryan's a, a big thinker with big ideas. Like, seriously, for him, it would have been he wanted to balance the budget. He wanted to bring the debt down. And he couldn't do any of that because he had to make a deal with Crazy. And Crazy demanded complete capitulation to Trump and constant, like, just, just everything. So Kevin McCarthy, unfortunately, historically, has shown his true colors. He'll say the right thing behind closed doors and on private phone calls. We have the tapes. Uh, but when his feet are put to the fire, he's a complete and total coward. And I think one of the things he's going to capitulate about is probably from Marjorie Taylor Greene herself. She was stripped of her committee memberships because of her, you know, hate spewed rage that she constantly, you know, spread as a congressperson. And I think she's going to go right up to him and she's going to say, you have to take away all of the committee chairs or all the committee memberships of the squad. Or at least AOC. I think that's it. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene hates Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and wants her ruined. She wants her diminished. Now, personally... I think that's a mistake on her part, but again, she's crazy. Uh, but I think those are the kind of concessions you're going to see. You're going to start seeing revenge. I think revenge is on the list. I think Kevin McCarthy is going to go to these 31 Republicans. He's going to ask them what they want, and they're going to be Hunter Biden revenge tour. We have to impeach, but we have to impeach Biden. We have to impeach him at least three times because he's got to have more than Trump. We have to hold hearings on Hunter Biden's laptop. 
We have to we have to impeach the the director of Homeland Security. We have to do this. We have to do that. We have to do performative votes to show everybody how serious and MAGA we are. It's gonna be a shit show. You know, there are some people who have a more optimistic take and think actually Kevin McCarthy with only one or two Republican uh, vote majority is is going to be more moderate. No, I think this makes it more extreme because you've given more power to that single Republican. Okay, Democrats should actually look at this and be very thankful right now, as crazy as that sounds, with their 50-50 split and people like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. We should be thankful that they're not batshit. You know, they're anti-Biden agenda, they're anti-progressive, but you know what? They're not fucking lunatics. You know, Joe Manchin's not sitting there saying we need to... God, I don't even know what the crazy version of what he would do is. But, you know, he's not making insane demands. He's not on a revenge tour. Marjorie Taylor Greene is. Like, this is her bread and butter. So it's going to be very disheartening to see somebody like Kevin McCarthy. I really do think either the Democrats should like pass him a note in study hall and be like, dude, we're willing to work with you. We will give you what you need to get over the hump. Do not cave in to the crazy. Or he should go to them. Ideally, he would go to them because that would, you know, that would mean that he's actually intelligent. I don't get any intelligent vibes from McCarthy at all. I think he is in a safe seat, and that alone has made him who he is. Um, yeah. The other big news yesterday that we got to hurry up on uh, is that Trump announced officially his run for president for 2024. So we get to do it again. Now, he is the first Republican to officially announce that he is running against Biden in 2024. So the 2024 presidential race is now officially started all the way back here in November of 
It didn't last time. Okay. Trump won a majority of the states initially during the Republican primary with only 30% of the vote. He was not winning huge insurmountable numbers. He had over 30%. That was it. And because there were, you know, a dozen other Republicans running against him, they split up the other 60% of the vote. And it wasn't until he became the inevitable nominee that he was ever cresting over 50% in states. And then, of course, he became the general nominee. And again, the Democrats ran the most unpopular candidate they could think of against him. So it made it very easy for Republicans to hold their nose and vote for Trump. But the party doesn't pick. The party tried really hard. The party wishes that it had the superdelegate problem that the Democrats have so that they could have forced Trump out early. The party never would have picked him, ever, ever. They knew that he was toxic from day one. You can go back and look. Lindsey Graham, of all people, Trump's biggest supporter now, has said publicly, if we elect him, we will get destroyed and we will deserve it. That's him. <laughs> Captain Pilot Fish himself. So the Republicans know how dangerous he is. He, They know he's a loser. They know they can't win with him. But they don't get to decide this. They really don't. The people do. The voters are going to go ahead and pick Donald Trump again. The Republican establishment can go ahead and try really super hard to wrap their hands around Ron DeSantis. But here's the thing. In a head-to-head, -head, if it was just Trump versus DeSantis for the entire Republican primary, I would actually say you've got a shot because it's one versus one. And again, last time, Trump never crested above 50% until it was a foregone conclusion that he was the nominee, right? He was only pulling 30. If all the other Republican candidates weren't there and it was a one versus one, theoretically, you would think, well, that means that there's 70% of the Republican Party that didn't want Trump and possibly could have coalesced around somebody else. But unfortunately, in 2016, there were just too many nominees. So... If it was a straight one-to-one, -one, maybe DeSantis has a shot. However, running for president doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be president or you even have a chance at president or you even want to be president. Uh, you know, Huckabee ran for president all those times. I don't think he ever thought he was going to win. I think he ran because it helped him sell book tours and it helped his daughter become a governor. Um, I, he did it for legacy. I think the same thing with Rand Paul. I don't think Rand Paul ever ran for president actually thinking he would win. I uh, Or Ron Paul, excuse me. I think Ron Paul ran uh, strictly to get his message out, whatever that is, you know, to, to change things. Um, he never, he. I don't think he ever tried or ever got in thinking, hey, I'll actually win. It might have been like in the back of his head, kind of like the same way we all think about winning the, the Mega Millions when we buy a lotto ticket, but but none of us actually really, really think it's going to happen, but but yeah, it's fun to dream. And I think even, even Trump thought that at the beginning. I think when he initially announced, he was like, this will be a good way to get my name out, you know, for two years or whatever, everybody's talking about me. 
uh, and then I can launch my Trump TV or whatever the hell his next grift was going to be with his larger-than-life name recognition. But then he won, and his ego took over. Um, but the problem is, I don't think it's just going to be DeSantis. I think you have a few other Republican governors who think it's their time to shine, who think they can increase their name recognition for future events. I think there are going to be a couple Republican governors, maybe a few senators, who decide, I'm going to run. Not for really this year. I'm going to announce for 2024, but really I've got my eye on 2028, right? Like, that's the thing. Nobody wants to go up against an incumbent, and they will be going up against both Biden and Trump this time. That's not pretty, right? You're, you're essentially going up against two incumbents in a row. It's not appealing. So I don't think anybody that runs this time, including DeSantis, really thinks that they have a shot at winning. I think they think this is to prove to everybody that I can be the guy next time. And historically in Republican politics, this has happened. The guy who came up second for a long time ended up being the nominee the next time. You know, Mitt Romney came in second to John McCain, ended up being the nominee. John McCain came up second to George W. Bush, ended up being the nominee. You know, uh, Republican politics, it's, it's kind of a proven thing. You run for president twice, once just to get your name out there, and the second time to actually go win it. So I think that's what happens this time. I think a bunch of Republicans jump in again, and it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be as many as last time. It could be a handful. It could be like five, right? Total, including Trump and DeSantis. Get two or three other guys in there, and all it takes is Trump to win a couple states to get some momentum, and that's all it's going to take, okay? He's going to be the nominee. Uh, I don't think DeSantis is ready for primetime. If you actually go and look up any of his debates against Rick Scott for governor of Florida, it, he's awful. He's terrible. He is an awkward, awkward individual. He is not built for primetime cameras. The news media is going to absolutely fucking destroy him. And there's no way that he gets an independent vote against a Democrat. Like, even if he wins the nomination, there's no way in hell I would pick him to win over Biden at this current moment, okay? Because he has got some batshit crazy stuff that he did down in Florida, and it plays well to the base. Don't get me wrong. The base is going to eat it up. But in a general election, independents are going to be sitting there going, wait a minute, you, you passed a law specifically to spite a company for taking for making a, a political statement like they didn't do anything they just said we disagree with this decision and you decided to pass a whole law against it like independents don't want that shit uh so i don't see i i really don't see him winning at all uh he, he's even if he wins the nomination i don't see him winning in a general i mean the world would really have to be upside down and totally fucked for him to win not saying that's not possible but it's it's just it's it's a bad choice it really is it's a bad choice and and trust me if you listen to this guy speak go go watch some of his speeches go see him during a debate performance where he absolutely gets destroyed and tell me that trump isn't just going to have a field day with him okay 
he's he's not a good candidate. He really is not. He, he's great for Florida, and he can be go be king of Florida for the foreseeable future. He's not ready for this. Um, but regardless, Trump's going to be the nominee. But here's the thing. Like I said at the beginning, we have the Murdochs and Fox News all of a sudden turning against him. Well, Tucker Carlson's their highest rated host, and he's still very much on the Trump train. And they've done this before. Okay, after the uh, 2020 elections, when it was obvious, yeah, Biden won and Trump was fighting it, Fox News tried this pivot once before. They pivoted. They said, hey, we're going to go, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to follow Biden. We're, we're going to just normal, everyday news cycle. We're not going to do the Trump train bullshit anymore. That did not last long because all of their viewers changed the channel. They all went to OANN and, you know, the One America News Network and, uh, oh, crap, there's another one. It doesn't matter. There are, or Newsmax. Yeah, that was it, Newsmax. So Newsmax, OANN. These other networks are still there. And the second Fox starts losing to them again, they're going to jump right back on the train. It almost happened. It kind of happened last night. They were covering Trump's announcement speech. And his speeches are long and rambling and incoherent and crazy. They're, they're bad television unless you're really all in, right? Uh, so they actually cut away from his speech. It only took a few minutes. They went back to it. They ended up going back to it. Now, if you're the Murdochs, if you're Fox News, and you're 100% serious about, you know, breaking ties with Donald Trump, why would you even carry it live to begin with? Let alone carry it, then break away, and then go back and finish it? So you can already see, like... The powers that be have unleashed the masses, and they have a choice now. They can lose billions. They can. They can lose money. Or they can support Trump. That's their choice right now, because when Fox starts losing viewers, okay, when the right-wing publications and everything, when they start losing subscriptions... When people stop clipping, clipping, uh, clicking on certain websites because they're anti-Trump, and then everyone sees where they are going, they will account. They will, they will change course. Billionaires love one thing and one thing only, and that's money. And when they find out that tying to the Trump train is the only way to keep their money, they're going to do it again. They already did it once. I mean, selling their soul at this point is no big deal. Rupert Murdoch's soul has been sold millions of times over the years. Once more into the breach is not going to affect him. So I, I just don't buy it. I don't buy the media. Oh, Fox is turning against Trump. Yeah, they also did after January 6th. Okay, for about a week after January 6th, every single Republican worth their salt was saying that Trump was responsible and this was all his fault. Two weeks later, during the impeachment, oh no, we don't need witnesses and uh, yeah, we don't need to impeach him. It, it wasn't his fault. It was a false flag. I mean, yeah, this has happened before. 
because the party does not decide. The people in charge do not decide. They're not the people in charge anymore. They have unleashed this crazy base of voters. And they will follow the voters because the voters decide everything. The voters are going to pick Trump again. They are going to pick him by watching channels that support him. And they're going to leave channels that don't. And all it's going to take is one or two news cycles where MSNBC is kicking Fox's ass. Fox is going to be right back on that Trump train. I guarantee you. And until Tucker Carlson turns on him, it's not happening. It's just not. You can't have your number one rated host cheerleading for Donald Trump and the rest of the network on the other 23 hours of the day uh, crapping on him. It's just not working. Now, if Fox, you know, put the foot, put the hammer down on, on Tucker and said Tucker has to turn on him, I'd maybe be more convinced. But I think they're leaving Tucker to do his thing because he is the number one host on their site. And it gives them a way back in, right? That way they have plausible deniability. Oh, no, we weren't. We were never 100% against Trump, right? We were just testing the waters with this DeSantis thing to see how it would play. But, but we've never been anti-Trump. See, look, we have Tucker Carlson and he's been cheerleading this whole time. Um, so that's interesting. The, uh, the other interesting bit of news that I've got here, if uh, my kids will allow, um, is this. I, I, I don't think there's enough votes to codify unless something happens unusual in the House. I think we're going to get very close in the House, but I don't, I think it's going to be very close, but I don't think we're going to make it. So that was President Biden taking a question that he should not have taken and then answering that question in the worst possible way um, about abortion and codifying Roe v. Wade over here in the States. Now, first off, they could do that right now. They could. They could do it right now. Um, Republicans may have won the winter midterms. They don't actually take office for another month and a half. Okay, we still have a Democratic majority in both the House and the Senate and a Democratic president right now. Mm -hmm. If they wanted to codify Roe v. Wade into law, all they have to do is say they want to do it and it would happen. Okay, you also have Republican support for this. At least Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, both Republican senators, have voiced and said, if you just codify Roe v. Wade into law, they will support it, which means you would have bipartisan Republican support to do so. But the Democrats didn't do that. The Democrats tried to pass a legislative progressive nightmare, uh, basically saying there are no restrictions at all to abortion. Now, I personally have my own issues with that. But the problem is that that does not play. Okay, uh, you have to understand the reality, and the reality is a majority of Americans in this country do not want third trimester abortions, period. The majority of Americans are kind of with Roe v. Wade, the original, hey, you know, the first trimester, a uh, few weeks into the second trimester, especially cases of rape and incest, uh, you know, and there are exceptions, and then, and then, you know, things get harder over time kind of a deal. 
most Americans are there. So you have to start with where we are before you go trying to run into where you want to be. Maybe in the future, we can be a country that just says, hey, uh, what happens between a woman and her doctor is what happens. And the rest of us can just fuck off and not pay attention to it. And that's fine. But right now, we are not there. So the Democrats basically tried to pass a bill that maybe in the future we'll be able to pass, but they ignored right now. So, of course, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, they vote against it. So right off the bat, all the Republicans are no's, which means you need 50 votes in the Senate to get uh, Kamala Harris to tiebreak it. And they didn't get that. They didn't even bring it up for a vote. The House voted on it. And even they had dissenters within the Democratic caucus. But, hey, they passed it, and it went to the Senate, and it died. This this is a problem. So here, here's... It's disingenuous for the president to suggest that he can't get it done. And it's disingenuous to suggest that we simply don't have the votes, so we won't even fucking try. I hate that. It's called the Hastert Rule. It's from a Speaker of the House from the fucking 90s who had this rule... That in order to show strength for the House, strength in leadership, you never bring a vote to the floor unless you already know the outcome. And the outcome is going to be it passes. Never bring a vote to the floor that's going to fail. It always looks bad. Now, I'm not going to argue the valid points of whether or not this was a good idea in the 90s or even through the 2000s. I know right now... The Hastert rule needs to be thrown into the garbage bin. It's done. Uh, Americans don't like it. It gives cover because then congressmen, senators that we vote for, we don't really know what they think. We know what they say, but we never know what they actually vote for. And what they actually vote for matters. Okay? And I think the real reason that the Democrats don't just put up Roe v. Wade just just the bare minimum of abortion protections and codify it into law. Two reasons. One, it'll be just like the Republicans catching the car when they when they banned it. Oh my god, they won. Now they can't fundraise off it anymore. And I think that does drive it. I think I think Nancy Pelosi loves abortion as an issue and wants to keep it on the ballot for as long as she possibly can. I think she is a horrible human being who always views things through the fundraising lens. How can I make money off of this issue? So that's that's number one. Two, I think, is a little more political. I think the second reason they don't do it is because they don't even have the votes for that. See, in the Senate, you have these people, and I'm going to pick on Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, but really we don't know about the other 48 Democratic senators. We don't know because they've never been put to the vote. But I believe that, at least in the Senate, you have Democrats who aren't really pro-choice. But it's never mattered because they've never had to actually vote on it. And if all of a sudden they have Roe v. Wade and they've got to vote on it, I think you would actually see Democrats who talk a big game vote no. And I think that that would fracture the Democratic Party. Imagine for a second that you 
are a Democratic voter who has $5 to give, and your number one issue is abortion rights. If you find out that there's a handful of senators that are Democrats that voted no on Roe v. Wade, would you give $5 to the Democratic National Committee? No. Maybe you send that to uh, Planned Parenthood instead. You know, maybe you find another political action group and uh, and send it to them. But you're not sending it to the Democrats. It blows up your whole worldview, right? Because right now it's a, it's a clear, clear distinction. Republicans are against abortion rights. Democrats are for it. Well, if they actually held a vote and you found out that there's a decent amount of Democratic senators who actually would not vote in favor of it, it shatters that worldview. You have to add shades of gray to your black and white issue. It fractures the party. And I think it's party politics. I think that's what it is. I think it's party preservation. I think the Democrats don't really want to pass abortion rights because that would wreck them. They can't pass it. I think they know it. I think internally, I think secretly, they talk to each other and they're like, I'm sorry, I can't support it. Either, either they have moral objections to it or they look at their, their own political futures and are like, look, I'm in a close district. I'll lose if I vote for this. And it's, it's entirely political. But, but for whatever reason, I'll bet you money right now the reason they don't codify Roe v. Wade is because they don't have the votes. They're going to lose. And what does that say? Right now, they have this message. Vote for us. Support us. We'll codify, you know, we'll give you abortion rights. Well, what if they actually tried to put it on the ballot and then they lose? That pledge that they make to vote for us, to support us, and we'll give you abortion rights now rings hollow. No, you can't deliver. Now it's affirmative. Like, right now, we're all just suspecting, right? This is me guessing. Uh, it's all hypothetical, but if they actually made it a reality, oh no, you can't deliver. Well, that that wrecks them. And I think that's what's going on right now. I think it is a political decision. I think uh, Nancy Pelosi wins because it's a fundraising decision as well. She doesn't want to be the dog that caught the car. She likes chasing it. She loves chasing it. She loves dangling the little carrot in front of all of us. Uh, but really, it's all about money. It's all about fundraising. She can't fundraise if she actually delivers. You can't fundraise on the past. You have to fundraise off the future. And the future says that abortion is going to be a major issue in all 50 states for the next generation. And if she fixes that, then, then that's a problem for her. She has to come up with something. So I do think it's political. I think the Democrats should do it. I think the Hastert rule is crap. I think we need to just have a lot of up and down votes. Honestly, if I were a Democrat right now in a, in a lame duck session before the Republicans come in and take over the House, if I'm the speaker, it, again, uh, this is me and this is totally not what Nancy Pelosi would do. I would have just a shit ton of all kinds of votes and put my members on the spot. I would get their records out. 
be like, oh no, we're going to see where everybody lands when it actually has a chance to pass. You know, uh, otherwise, what they do is very simple. Like, they they vote for things, like last time, last time Nancy Pelosi in uh, 2018 when she won, what did they do for two years as the House leadership? Oh, they passed a lot. They passed a lot, actually. They did. They, they passed all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, defunding the police. Well, not defunding the police, but they passed a lot of performative bills that they knew would never see the light of day in the Senate because the Senate was controlled Republican. All of a sudden, they had majorities in all three. They, they had a Democratic House, Senate, President. What about all those bills they passed when the bills, they knew the bills wouldn't go anywhere? None of them got brought up again. They didn't try to try to do it again. Like, shit on the Republicans all you want. They did the performative repealing of Obamacare for years. It is the most attempted repeal bill in history. They tried to repeal it like over a hundred times in the House. Guess what? The second they had House, Senate, President, they tried again. And yeah, it failed in the Senate, but hey, the House was sticking to its guns. No, fuck that thing. We're trying to blow it up. I mean, hey, I disagree with them, but they have the courage of their convictions. Democrats don't. It's like, what are you doing? You should be doing this. Ramrod it through, man. Like that's that's the big myth. Everybody on polls says that they love bipartisanship, but in reality, no politician has ever 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 suffered a defeat because they were too bipartisan never so it's uh it's crazy to me well we're closing in here on an hour and i'm surprised my kids are still sleeping in which is fantastic they were up by this time yesterday uh, so yeah, I'm glad I was able to get through on my four main topics and then I was able to, able to even squeeze in the abortion topic, um, which is fantastic. Yesterday was a huge news day, uh, uh, tomorrow, today is going to be, uh, interesting. Uh, I haven't seen any of the, you know, hot takes from Trump's announcement at all, really. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what's going on there. Uh, in the meantime... You guys have a great day. Stay safe, get vaccinated, continue to fight oppression around the world and here at home, and we will see you again next time.